Welcome to the Two Button Crew podcast, episode 25. We're talking about Paper Mario, the Origami King today. This is Scott, and I'm joined by my podcasting cohort, Glenn. How are you? I'm doing all right. Thanks for outlining this episode and getting us on to talk about Paper Mario. You've been enjoying this game overall? Uh, yeah, I think it... it um is a substantial improvement over the last couple of games we've gotten, but we'll get more into that in uh, today's episode. That's hard to argue with. How are you enjoying Mario's 35th anniversary? Oh, yeah, that's a thing. Um, At the moment, I'm not, but I'm not disliking it. I'm just kind of not engaged at all. I was on the fence about whether or not to get the... um, 3D All Stars. Yeah, the 3D All Stars. The I, I have a hard time double dipping on things, even if it means <laughs> I have to like dig out three different consoles to enjoy the the entirety and like drive back. Let's see, Super Mario 64. Uh, I got that a long time ago, and that was one of those situations where we got a, a video game system to keep at my grandparents' house so that the grandkids all had something to do when we were there. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's at my grandparents' house. And then Sunshine and Mario Galaxy are at my parents' house because you know I <laughs> was living with them when I, I bought those games. Uh, so you'd be visiting a lot of family members. Yeah, I'd have to, I'd have to drive around to get all of the games if I want to experience all of those. But the thing is, um, I have a hard time. Like I said, I have a hard time justifying a purchase of things that I technically already own. Uh, and the other thing is it doesn't look like these are the best versions of the games. They're emulated, and there are a few glitches in the emulation. Uh, and moreover, and I know this is going to sound stupid, but this is what ultimately convinced me not to do it. Like, the emulation and the double-dipping, that that made me um, a little bit... And let me make something clear. I'm, I don't have anything against emulation if it's done well. Um, but... That, that made me hesitant, but what ultimately convinced me not to get it uh, was I heard that from Game Explained that they changed the controls in Super Mario Sunshine so that um, it's no longer, um, the Y-axis is no longer reversed in aiming mode. So if you press down, Mario looks down instead of Mario looks up like it was in the original game, and there's no option to change it. And when I heard that, it's like, nope, mm-mm, yeah. I'm not buying it. <laughs> Uh, that is, like, that was probably my biggest complaint with Luigi's Mansion, um, at least in regards to, like, every, like, the game, actual gameplay itself. I mean, Luigi's Mansion also had that, as we mentioned in our Luigi's Mansion episode, which you can go back and listen to if you want. Gosh, it was, like, almost a year ago that we did that. It's hard to Mm -hmm. believe. Um, but... I really did not like the fact that they didn't give me the option to do Y, invert Y control, uh, you know, the Y axis, which is one of those things where even a company like Nintendo that doesn't like giving you um, the ability to configure your controls, even Nintendo typically does stuff like that. So it really is baffling and frustrating when, you know, I'm I'm not given the option to... it's a bit of a pet peeve. So yeah, I'm I'm not I'm not getting the 3D All Stars. Uh, Nintendo do better. Now speaking of emulation, what is the difference between a port and an emulation? 
Uh, well, it has to do with uh, emulation basically just means that there is a middleman program that is interpreting the um, code. Wow, weren't we supposed to be talking about Paper Mario? <laughs> uh, I just wish there was a blog that I could go reference. Yeah, that would be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> Maybe at twobuttoncrew.com? Maybe. Okay. I If I was a betting man, I might bet that there's an article on there. Yeah, let's get back to Paper Mario. This would have been an interesting E3 this year. I think it would have been Mario's 35th anniversary themed. Paper Mario probably would have been revealed there. Maybe even Shadow Dropped. I mean, E3 in June... Uh, the game very well may have been delayed due to COVID-19, but uh, regardless, we had no E3 press conference. It was revealed and released in a span of about two months, so this was a nice surprise. And I agree with you earlier what you said about it being a good step up from the previous two games, so that was also a nice surprise. Uh, I've got some nitpicks with the game. Uh, the writing is definitely awesome, and we'll uh, save the best for last, so we'll talk about the writing at the end of the episode. But for now... Let's talk about the series overall. Uh, this is a series that stretches back to the Nintendo 64. In Japan, it was called Mario Story, and the paper wasn't very emphasized in that game. It was just that they were having trouble having as detailed of models as they wanted to for this type of game. So they said, well, let's make it flat, which is an interesting choice for Nintendo's first 3D console. Uh, that's where I started out with this series. I rented Paper Mario for the 64 uh, multiple times from like a movie rental store. So mm -hmm. that was the first place that I had seen it. wasn't on the internet or anything like that. didn't have a Nintendo Power subscription. I just had a N64 that I had purchased from, a, from the pawn shop. And that game and the box really stood out to me. So rented that and of course had no chance of beating it in like the three day rental period. So had to probably spend an equivalent amount of buying it on multiple rentals, but I did eventually beat it. When did you start out with Paper Mario? Uh, very similarly, uh, I did see it on TV and I think I even saw like some beta screenshots and then to no power at one point. Oh. Um, I think my first experience with it was a rental, but I did eventually get it probably as like a Christmas present or something. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I started with the uh, the original Paper Mario, uh, and I've, I want to say I've beaten, like played it all the way through like three times. Um, and then I was super, super stoked for the Thousand Year Door when that came out. I remember I was very excited for that. And uh, I've just gone through and I've played every game in the series as it's come out. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I was also super excited about Thousand Year Door. I remember seeing that for the first time in a Walmart. And back when Walmarts used to have playable kiosks where you crane your neck up like 110 degrees and look at the TV way up there. Mm -hmm. and the controller is like mounted by the game. So I played some of that there and I think it was just... Wait, wasn't having the craning your head up 110 degrees mean you'd be looking behind you? Yeah, that's how high up it was. <laughs> you have to stand like underneath it and look all the way up. It's bad. But I... I think that the Thousand Year Door was just the perfect. It was like a, it was a masterpiece. It was 
the perfection of the formula that was started on the 64. And then what I love both about the first two entries most was just the characters. I was really attracted to all the companion characters and their writing and stuff. And I think it was just fascinating to have uh, characters that would normally be enemies in the Mario universe as partners on your team, like Goombas and Koopas and stuff. And they made them all really sympathetic characters. So I think that's what I liked the most. Yeah, um, I I think I like the the gameplay, like the very simplified RPG mechanics. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that was very interesting. Um, so it, it makes it a good um, introduction to the RPG genre, but it also makes it so that it's you you can spend a lot more time thinking about how you uh, approach things because you don't have like the random numbers you would have with a uh, more regular you know a, a more standard JRPG like uh, Chrono Trigger or Final Fantasy VI or whatever. I like how you call it an introduction to RPGs, but I think my development as a gamer was just kind of halted and never grew past it. Like, this is my limit for RPGs, pretty much. Beyond this, I get tired of the menus and numbers and stuff like that. Oh, so you're glad when they went away from, uh, moved away from being RPGs? I was not glad because it was just right. I think that, yeah, we will have to. All right. You, well, I, I take it Thousand Year Door is your favorite in the series? <laughs> yes. All right. So I'll admit, like, I think Thousand Year Door has the best um, gameplay, at least from the battle system, but the, my favorite will always be the N64 one. Hmm. Um, the Thousand Year Door, it's one of those things where it feels very mid-2000s. What that, that came out in, like, 2004, right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, so it's like, okay, you know, we want to have Mario be a little bit darker and edgier and stuff. And again, I, I'm not saying that that's necessarily bad. I, I think Nintendo should be, and we'll get into this uh, more later, I, I think Nintendo should be willing to experiment with Mario uh, more than they did back in, like, the, the Wii and the DS era. Um, but... I don't know. I just I, I like the tone and the just sort of the the cozy laid back atmosphere of the first game. Uh, yeah, a lot more. Um, uh, hmm. I I would need to play them again. You've played through them multiple times, so I think you have a better. Well, that's the thing is I've I've played through Thousand Year Door like once and one and one eight. Times. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, well, to be think... fair, part of the f- reason for that is because Thousand Year Door lets you continue playing after you beat the final boss. Okay. And so I'm not actually a huge fan of that as a gameplay convention for, for most games. I think some games it definitely makes sense. But for most games, I don't actually like that because I like just having a set endpoint. And it's like if you didn't do all of the side quests, then. It's a thing that keeps me from replaying games. Let me put it that way. It keeps me from replaying games because it's like, oh, now I can go back and do all the stuff that I didn't do before the final boss, and that means that I basically keep playing the game forever and there's no set endpoint. Yeah. Well, I think I was just at the age where newer is better and better graphics is better and like, you know, Super Smash Bros. Melee is better because it has more characters and stuff like that. So I was probably just taking it at face value. It'd be really interesting for these first two games to be re-released 
and play through them again and then see what I think. I'd I mean, def- yeah, I, I wouldn't mind it so people could uh, enjoy those original two games, but at the same time, I know they would cut corners and use like the um, the character design from Thousand Year Door onward for the first Paper Mario, and I think the first Paper Mario, because um, he had a very different character design in the first Paper Mario, kind of looks like a... Um, an extrapolation of the small Mario Super Mario World sprite, mm-hmm. um, and I really, really like the uh, the graphical style of that. He actually had legs; like you, you had to look very closely, but he did, and so, at least in some sprites. And they, I, wouldn't, they sp- I wouldn't count on them redoing it because they didn't for 3D All Stars. Yeah, but those are emulated. Yeah, so what if they just emulated these two? Okay, well, I, I, I guess that. Yeah, that that is a possibility. I was thinking of like an actual remake, but yeah, if it's just an emulation, then come on, it's Nintendo. They'll probably do the least possible effort. Right. <laughs> All right. What in the world was the next game? Super Paper Mario. That one's good too. I don't think people should sleep on it. I enjoyed that on Wii. Uh, the writing was good and bad. There were some very interesting villains for sure. That was a fun storyline to follow with Count Black, but they really dialed back on the partners, unfortunately, and you mostly just got, what, the pixies, whatever they're called, pixels. Mm -hmm. Also, I I found kind of uh, some of the writing a little melodramatic. Um, I know I completely checked out in the, uh, like, the world that's, like, supposed to be the afterlife. Uh-huh. I remember it's like, okay, you know, this is an interesting kind of spooky place when I showed up at first. And then, like, after the first chapter, I was just completely checked out. It's like, oh, this just goes on forever. And they speak in this weird <laughs> stilted the and thou way. And um, I remember, I think I've heard some people say that that was, like, from a writing perspective, their favorite chapter. Because it's like, oh, you have this, like, really interesting, tragic story going on. I remember, mm-hmm. like... As the, the cutscene for the end of the chapter is going, it's just like, please, just stop talking. Please, <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> uh, yeah, it could be abridged for sure. How many hours do you think that game was? Thirty. Um, I don't know. There is if only there was like a, a website that you could go onto to see how long to beat games. <laughs> I just typed it in, so let's. It's about twenty hours, unless you're a completionist, then it doubles. But yeah, yeah, that's another thing. Is so I did the pit of a hundred trials in that, and so the pit of a hundred mm. trials is, um, there there are two actually. There are two pits of a hundred trials. So there's the first one <laughs> on the flip side, and then there's flop side, the like alternate dimension flip side. Well, I mean, I think they're on the same plane of existence. Well, not actual, like, geometric plane, like, you know, dimensional plane of existence. Ah! Okay, whatever. <laughs> Point is, um, so you have to do one, and then you do the other, and then when you get to the end of the second one, they're like, now go and do it again! Yep. You won the reward? Well, screw you! Oh, am I allowed <laughs> to say screw you on this podcast? <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> screw you, buddy! Do it again! <laughs> Then, if we feel like it, then we'll give you a reward. Ah, oh, gosh. Yeah. Of course, all that is relevant, but burying the lead a little bit is that the 
series left its RPG roots and it became a little bit more of a platformer action game. I would compare with, it to a point and ven- uh, click adventure game without the pointing and clicking. It's more like direct control. So yeah, I would say adventure hmm. game. Sure. Um, and they introduced a really interesting mechanic. Hit the A button to switch from 2D to 3D. And I really enjoyed that. Oh, wait, are we was... talking? still talking about Super? Yeah. Oh, I thought the... Okay, that's a platformer. Yeah, sorry. I was. I thought we were moving on to Sticker Star. <laughs> oh, no, I mean, Super Paper Mario is when they made the departure from menus and RPGs. And I liked how they could hide things with the paper thin things that you could only see from a different direction and stuff. So good puzzles. And why don't you take over recapping the series from here? Because I kind of checked out. Yeah, so then they moved on to something that was... It kind of resembled the original Paper Mario and that had turn-based combat, but it was really... There, there were no partners. It was um, really more like a point-and-click adventure game without the point-and-clicking, as I, I mentioned. What was it called? Uh, Paper Mario Sticker Star. So, Paper Mario Sticker Sticker Star came out for the 3DS. Uh, it had turn-based battles, but you know you didn't level up, and you had to use stickers to attack with, which meant you basically had an ammo system. Uh, and the the story was uh, paper thin. There there basically mm. was no story. And. This game gets a lot of flack from uh, the fandom, and I understand why. I think I do. Be- I have historically defended this game. That's not to say that I think it was a good direction for the series to go in. I do think that it is um, far less in quality than what came before it. Uh, the reason I defend this and Color Splash is because I think it's. I don't think it's a terrible game. I think mm-hmm. it's just kind of mediocre. You know, I, I put it anywhere between, like, a Sticker Star, I probably would say, is between a 4 and a 5.5 on a scale of 1 to 10. So, not terrible, just lacking. Um, and, you know, the interesting thing is, like, what Sticker Star did, did well, Color Splash did poorly, and vice versa. So, Color Splash has much more interesting writing, but... Uh, the the combat and uh, color splash stinks. Yeah. Um, Sticker star the it, it did stick with the small numbers and color splash doesn't even give you numbers when you attack so you have no idea how much damage you're doing. Really? Yeah. Oh my um, I've I've considered writing an article on color splash uh, arguing that it should have been a collectible card game. Yeah. Uh, that would have made a lot more sense and would made would have made the battles a lot more interesting if um, instead of having all of your cards available to you at one time, you had to actually like build a deck. But I right. digress. A, a game that does that well is SteamWorld Quest. Hmm. That's really fun. All right. So what about the crossover game that was in between Paper Mario, Sticker Star, and Color Splash, and that was Mario & Luigi Paper Jam. Did you try that one? Yes, I did. Um, and that one is, how, how do I put it? I would say it, it's not really a Paper Mario game. It's a Mario and Luigi game with uh, Paper Mario as a character. And it very much is focused more on like the Sticker Star style where they're focusing okay. on core Mushroom Kingdom characters. Um, I liked it. I thought it was uh, pretty good. 
Um, I would say it actually, in my ranking of the Mario and Luigi series, I would put it uh, dead in the middle. Okay. Just right in the middle. Um, I think it's better than Partners in Time, and I think it's better than uh, Dream Team, because Dream Team is an absolute slog that will put you to sleep. Um, <laughs> man, Dream, you know, Dream Team is like, I, I, I could go on for quite some time about that. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not even going there. <laughs> I don't hate the game. Let me make that clear, just for anyone listening. I don't hate Dream Team, but it has problems. You wanted Alpha Dream to be put out of business? No, no. I was I was very sad when I heard that, and I, I'm kind of upset that I didn't like have the time when I heard that to to do like a tribute article or whatever. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then we end with Paper Mario: The Origami King, which is. A new take, once again, on the series with a ring-based combat system, which is kind of just like a puzzle for every battle. Complete lack of experience points. You get stronger when your life meter goes up for some weird reason. Seems like might have been tacked on at the end of development. Not sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, But great story, great locations, great graphics, and great writing. So... As you can see, the series has kind of gone on a roller coaster of directions and ups and downs as far as reception and quality. So this has led to a lot of fan debate, controversies, and just a general lack of trust for the series. There are a lot of people waiting for reviews to come out on the Origami King before deciding if they wanted to purchase or not. So... What do you think about the series overall and some of its odd choices? Well, like I said, I think um, Sticker Star was a poor choice of direction. And, I mean, if you really want to know what I think... Like, if you go and play that game with the understanding of its development history that was going to be a traditional Paper Mario game, and then they... uh, Shigeru Miyamoto came in and said, well, you're just doing the same thing over and over again. Why? Why not uh, try something different? Uh, it be like it explains so many things because pa- what Paper Mario the uh, uh, what Paper Mario Sticker Star feels like is a game that they uh, came up with a plan, got uh, partway through development, and then scrapped it and cobbled something together. So it's, you know it's like if you were writing an assignment uh, for school and then you reread the. Uh, you know, the assignment that you were handed, and you realized that the uh, essay that you had, you're halfway through didn't actually answer any of the questions you were supposed to be. You know, it was off topic. And it's like, ah, oh, crud! I have like, you know, uh, <laughs> I have like two days to redo all of this. So yep. it 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 kind of feels like that. I I'm sorry. What guess. was the question? <laughs> <laughs> you answered it. Okay. I get so upset at the office politics behind the development of these games because it's exact it's so clear exactly what you said about Miyamoto coming in and saying you got to do something new every time it has to be something new I hate that I hate 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 that because the old games are so well received and so beloved that sometimes what Nintendo fans want and ask for is just more of the same and when hold it what (laughs) So I've been I've been meaning to pull this one out for a long time. <laughs> you said in your article on when it is to uh, 
to when it's a good idea to revamp a series. Yeah. That the perfect time to do that is when you've perfected the formula. And you said that uh, Thousand Year Door was a perfection of the formula. Yes. True. So by your own logic, they were doing exactly what they should have been doing. <laughs> they could have revamped it in a way that was actually good. <laughs> <laughs> and I agree with you. Like I said, I, I'm not defending I, the direction they took. Um. <laughs> I think that if you try to do something different once and it fails, you try something different twice and it fails, just go back to what worked. Fair point. Um, because at, at this point, the Paper Mario series is not a perfected formula. It used to be, and now it's a mishmash. And I think it just needs to go back. Um, it, it frustrates me when Nintendo is so reluctant to do more of the same because with new consoles and technology comes the opportunity to do more of the same, but with better presentation. Mm -hmm. So we don't have a perfect formula Paper Mario game in HD. There's no way legally to play the Thousand Year Door yeah, with high definition. Just keep twisting those semantics, man. <laughs> <laughs> legally, uh, and they like they won't make an F Zero game because they can't think of a new mechanic, and it's just so frustrating to me that every new game they make has to have a new mechanic. And whenever I watch a new Paper Mario trailer and I see your companion, whether it's a paint bucket or Olivia fairy thing, it, I'm like. Ugh, we don't we just don't need we don't need to fill in holes in the landscape we don't need to re return color to the landscape i think nintendo should do those games where they make a mechanic first and build a game around it for console launches and to sell hardware like making making things that go hand in hand with the wii controllers or the switches hardware but not every game for the rest of the console's lifestyle has to be like that with some weird new features yeah, I I would prefer if they went back to the original formula as well. I'm I'm just giving you a hard time. <laughs> yeah, well, you caught me in a little bit of a contradiction, but hopefully I wiggled out of it. <laughs> mm, we'll let the fans decide. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we should talk about the Origami King specifically now. Yes, we've been going for, what, 20, 25 minutes now, and we, we haven't actually talked about the game. Well, we're one, one little point I do want to slip in there is that I do find it kind of funny that Paper Mario has always been controversial. Um, the the first game, people uh, were um, up in arms about the choice of art direction compared to the original Mario RPG. And so I find it interesting that the like every Paper Mario game has had some element of controversy tied to it, except for, as far as I can tell... Uh, the thousand year door yeah which makes me wonder if that has something to do with the fact that it's the uh, fan favorite I mean and you know it is a great game and I do think that mechanically it uh, works it, it is the best game in the series um, but it, it is interesting to, to uh, contemplate at the very least I think the controversy right now is that they haven't re-released it so well, I mean, yeah, okay. You know. <laughs> Whether we if, get if, a... if we want to circle the square, then I, I guess we can. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I wonder where we'll play it first. Like, if it'll come to Switch in a collection, or if there will be a GameCube Classic Edition someday. I am interested to see, but 
Uh, I still feel a little winded from my long rant, so why don't you take it away on the Origami King? All right, so Paper Mario the Origami King. Let's jump straight into the gameplay. I really, really like the exploration in this game. Like, there are so many little things to just um, hidden away in every area, and the areas are big. Like, you, you actually get this nice sense of uh, getting to kind of wander around and look at stuff and, um, you know, look for, like, toads or little... Uh, areas to fill in with your confetti, which I, I know you said you're not um, super interested in that aspect. I actually do like stuff like that because it gives me the sense of I'm restoring the land to its proper um, state. And, you know, I'm, I'm saving the people of the land. And, you know, the toads go back to like Toad Town. So you get to see the town kind of gradually uh, come back to life. Um, and so I found that very rewarding. Um, less rewarding is looking for all the hidden blocks and all of the, uh, the little statues, but, um, overall, yeah, yeah I, I really, really like the exploration in this game because there's just always something, something new to find. I'm with you. I think they turned up the dial too much on the toads because I've gone on record before saying I like shrines more than Korok seeds and with Super Mario Odyssey and how many moons they put in. They kind of went the Korok route with there being over 900. And same with toads. There are toads around every single corner. And I think if there were just a couple hundred of them, they would be more exciting to find. But I like hit a butterfly, walk a step, pull one out of the ground, walk a step. Someone's a dog that I hit with my hammer. It's like, I don't know why so many. Um, I think it, I think it works personally because it gives you, um, it always gives you something to do en route to uh, your your next destination. The the thing is, like with Super Mario, Ga uh, not Galaxy, Super Mario Odyssey. What I I disliked about the way they did it is that it felt like almost the entire game was Korok seeds, and that was like the goal was just to find yep. the Korok seeds in the form of the moons. Um, here, you know, you have a story, and you can ignore the toads if you really want to. Um, but the toads are, you know, you can go along and have that constant dopamine hit, uh, along the way. So it, yeah. it just sort of give, you know, it's like collecting coins in an old Mario game. It's, you know, the coins don't have to be there and you could argue, oh, the coins are distracting, but it gives you something to do on your way to the goal. A little diversion to make sure that there's never a dull moment. Yeah, pretty much. And I, uh, I think, I think it works, but. You know, I can I can understand if uh, it does get tiresome after a while. There were a few points where I spent like twenty minutes looking for one toad, only oh, to find yeah. out that's like, oh, by the way, the toad is um is actually tied to a story event, and that's mm. why it's not completed yet. And it's just like, really? Okay, fine, <laughs> whatever. Um, though to be, while it's not perfect, to their credit. They actually do add a lot of little convenience features to help you find toads and stuff. Like you very early on get a little bell that rings when you're near a toad. Uh, and then you can get like a little radar that if there's a toad in the area, you can, uh, it, it'll direct you towards them. Yeah. So you mentioned something about how areas connect. What did you mean? Oh, yeah. So the way areas connect, um, I really like the fact that um, it's no longer a map screen like in the previous games. You know, that's one of those things I never really, until now, I never really gave a whole lot of thought to how that makes the world feel, 
interconnected, continuous. Mm -hmm. um, so th there's a classification of game, and it's not like a genre or anything, but I, I call it um, the traveling game, where mm -hmm. you feel like you're on a journey. Um, and, I'm, you know, it's... I'd say probably the best example I can think of is Metal Gear Solid 3 because you basically have to walk halfway across. Um, uh, it feels like you're walking halfway across the world to, to get to the end of that game. <laughs> and, you know, it's just a ton of walking. And as someone who's done some uh, some hiking in my time, um, I can appreciate a game that actually kind of doesn't gloss over that aspect. So, you know, in Paper Mario, the Origami King, you start out on a grassy field and you keep walking. And, you know, they do have, like, um, things to transition between areas, like a boat ride or a, uh -huh. um, a gondola or whatever. But you actually do feel like you're crossing distance in this game. And that's just very immersive. Yeah, I agree. I think this is probably one of my favorite incarnations of the Mushroom Kingdom, just because it feels so connected and everything. The one thing I don't love is two different forms of fast travel with pipes and faxing. It reminds me a little bit of the game Okami where you could teleport from different pools and you could also teleport from different mirrors. And it's like you always just had to see which one am I closer to and then which one gets me closer to where I'm going instead of just having one system that gets you everywhere you need to go. Yeah, I thought that was a really weird choice. Um, and also, like, certain routes will allow you to backtrack. Um, mm -hmm. So, like, the gondola uh, ride, is that the, is it a tram or, a gond I don't know. Um, but Gondola, the, I think. Okay, it's so hanging, it is hanging, yeah. So the, uh, the gondola will eventually allow you to go from Toad Town straight to, like, the Autumn Mountain, but you can also make a stop on um, the, the first area. Uh, and so I like that because it, it feels kind of realistic, but it is really weird that they give you multiple ways to like travel between areas. Um, in a weird way, it's, I've, I've never played the series, but I have seen Let's Plays of it. It reminds me kind of of Dark Souls, how the world kind of loops back in on itself constantly. Um, and no, I'm not making the obvious joke. <laughs> so Mr. Glenn, how do the puzzles, the item puzzles in this game differ from those previous Paper Mario games that I didn't play? Well, they don't have the things anymore, which were like, you know, you, you don't have like a desk fan or whatever. I saw that in the trailer. Yeah, so the only like real world items that you come across are some of the bosses. And I appreciate that because those things were always weird, out of place, and raised a lot of uncomfortable questions about the nature of reality. So... <laughs> I'm, I'm not sad to see them go. Also, um, it, it feels just much more like a standard adventure game now, and it's so much more streamlined because now it's not like... Your, your items aren't disposable. Like, you will have a ton of junk in your inventory that's useless by the end of the game, um, and I'm okay with that because the alternative was what Sticker Star did, and it's like, oh, I'm sorry, uh, you're supposed to use the Zippo lighter to light this on fire instead of the Matchbox, so you lost your Matchbox. <laughs> and you, if you need that for a different puzzle, you have to, like, the, the games weren't running on any sort of actual logic. It's like you need this one particular item in this one particular place. Uh, and if you used it at a time that it wasn't supposed to be used, uh, it was just gone. It was out of your inventory forever. And they actually based 
boss battles on this mechanic. Wow. So it's like, that sounds if you, like if the you opposite missed, of scribble nuts. Yeah, it was. And if you didn't know what item, if you didn't have the item, you usually couldn't beat the boss. And if you misread the situation, it's like, okay, I'm supposed to use the, you know, I know what item I'm supposed to use. Do I use it now? Is it is now what? I'm, I'm going to use it now. Ah, dang it. And, you know, it's like fight's <laughs> over at that point. You used your one-time item shot. And I know, like, in um, in Color Splash, there's this one sequence where you have to, like, prepare a steak for someone. And so you have to, like, you have to get the steak, and you have to get a lemon, and you... Um, I think you have to get something to grill it or something like that. And each of these costs tons of coins. And, you know, you can get coins pretty easily in that game, so it's not a huge deal. But it's just this huge expenditure of time because, like, trying to figure out how much you have to tenderize the meat and when you're supposed... Oh, salt and pepper. I think you're supposed to add salt and pepper uh, and tenderize it and how to cook it and all of that um it's trial and error and i remember like it took me like eight tries which means you have <laughs> to buy these stupid things from a very slow menu each time and so i'm i'm just glad to be done with that um, it sounds like you could use some therapy after playing that one yeah that was that was honestly the worst part of the game was the <laughs> the cooking i i can say that pretty confidently that was my least favorite part of the game was the, the little cooking side quest um and if anything is preventing me from going back and replaying that game other than the fact that it's i i not super fond of it and that i don't have time for that i like if let me put it this way if i were planning to replay it i would probably stop and go oh but that means i have to do the cooking section again yeah 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 so you're more thankful for how it's handled in the origami king sounds like it's a lot more straightforward and Good. i can appreciate that and it's not based off of one-time use items <laughs> i much rather have a cluttered inventory and people questioning why do you have a paper mache donkey kong head <laughs> then <laughs> uh, in your pocket then uh <laughs> then uh not not being able, uh having to go like backtrack to the uh the item shop and purchase a particular item for several thousand coins another thing as you're exploring you'll find places to use the thousand fold arms which is a power given to you by olivia and it's just another mechanic a little nintendo wrinkle they threw in there and i could take it or leave it <laughs> wrinkle, i don't know because they folded <laughs> <laughs> it's like a little nod to arms not really but it kind of seems like it i don't know you're you just peeling stuff people in certain battles so yeah which uh we'll get to that but that uh, was really frustrating in the fire one the fire volumental am i saying it right uh velumental like vellum. Well, what does that mean vellum vellum it's it's uh it's uh a writing uh material uh you know it's you write on it like paper but it's it's made from uh animal skins oh yeah it's I, what the uh it's what the constitution's written on i should get some of that sounds nice to write on mm-hmm. hmm well let's go ahead and talk about combat shall we um yeah i had for the for the record uh thousandfold arms just to give my two cents on it um yeah, it's fun. Uh, some of those sequences are like you have to get your arms in like a very particular place, and so 
Metroid Other M pointer style. Yeah, it can be a little bit frustrating at times. Um, before we move on, uh, the game does give you the option to turn off motion controls. Did you do that? Oh, yes, instantly. Okay. I actually played with motion controls just for the heck of it. <laughs> um, I, I went in thinking, oh, I have the option to turn these off. I'm definitely going to do that. And then, you know, like my fingers hovering over the buttons like, but <laughs> probably should try it with the motion controls just to know how bad they are and then i never bother turning them off even though and you know <laughs> they're they're not bad they're just okay weird and you know it's it's motion controls it's nintendo doing its usual gimmick but it works for the most part yeah well combat is the central point of this game it's like the center of the bullseye you might say you spend probably the most time of playing origami king in battles unless you choose to avoid them and you might choose to avoid them because you're not going to get experience points from them. You will get coins. However, I spend a lot of coins in combat because the spending coins lets your toads help you solve the puzzles. And sometimes I just can't be bothered to solve the puzzles, especially on the boss ones. Uh, but let's talk about the normal battles first. So you got a Goomba, a Koopa, whatever you're fighting, and basically you just need to line them up. And you can spin and rotate the rings of the, the well, the rings of the ring sounds redundant, but you get what I'm saying, or slide them vertically. And I think this was fun for the first couple minutes, but overall, not loving the battles because, yes, you can press the buttons, time your attacks to do a little bit of extra damage while you're jumping or hitting with your hammer, just like the older games, except in this game, it doesn't really matter. What matters is if you have them lined up and then they're either going to take one hits or two hits to kill <laughs> regardless of if you time your press as well or not so i'm just not a big fan of the combat um i i like the puzzle solving aspect and uh i will say yeah there are some times where i just could not figure out what the uh what the solution was and that is frustrating but for the most part i think um you, you do get kind of used to it and you kind of start to see the um start to see the various patterns um and but i i can't say that i ever got really good at it because there were still a lot of instances where i probably spent several minutes and several thousand coins just trying to figure <laughs> out the solution to one overall um yeah i i like it i will say it's not like the actual combat part like the the real focus is on the puzzle solving um, the everything after that is just kind of um, going through the motions. Yeah, and so, but the thing is, like, if you're using strong items and stuff, it really doesn't take long. That's one of the things that really impressed me about this battle system compared to um, to Sticker Star and especially Color Splash, because Color Splash takes forever to get through a fight. Is that if you know what you're doing, these battles go by very quickly. Mm -hmm. Like you, a battle can be over in like 30 seconds if you know how to line everything up and then just do all the attacks uh, correctly. And uh, that's something I really appreciated. So it was one of those things where in the other games, like by the end of it, I had fatigue, battle fatigue. But in this game, it, no, I thought it was engaging up till the end. Um, just because um, if, uh, if, if you learn to get good at the system, it doesn't, you don't spend too much time uh, in fights you can get in a groove and it feels yeah. streamlined yeah i agree it, it is I streamlined i do think that it is pretty shallow past the puzzle elements and i i 
do miss the what I really miss are the small numbers because you start off doing like 12 damage and one of the things I really liked about Paper Mario is that it has small numbers like it's very easy to do the damage calculations in your head it's like okay this guy has uh, you know one defense I do four damage on a hammer strike he's going to take three damage um, that's not enough to kill this particular enemy so I need to use a more powerful attack you know it's you would not like Tatsunoko versus Capcom. Have you played that game or watched Simeon and I play? Uh, yeah, I, I have played Tatsunoko versus Capcom, but I don't. You do it. Dislike it like... because of the, the <laughs> billions of damage. I know that's just a like an aesthetic thing. I dislike it because it's a tag team fighter, and I just I don't like tag team fighters. All right, good to talk to you, Glenn. I'll finish this podcast on my own. <laughs> <laughs> So let's talk about boss battles because that kind of reshapes the formula. You are put in the center of the target and no wait. Yeah, the target is in the center and you are on the outside of the ring. Yes, yes, that's right. And you have to move rather than moving the enemies around you. So I like this a little bit more than the normal battles, but... Like I said, I pretty much always spend the 200 coins to get the toads to give me information about where my path is going to lead. Because you have to carefully plan where you're walking on the different arrows that point you towards the boss. And and on these, I hardly ever do the vertical sliding of the rings, just because that messes up so much of the pattern. It is that... a lot harder to do that. <laughs> and I enjoy these except for the parts when they get... Uh, trial and error. It's like you just have to do the wrong thing on the boss a couple of times in order to figure out how to do it right. And these can take forever. I spent probably an hour fighting the fire volumental. Velimental. Velimental. Because he kept regenerating all of his health and because I did my thousandfold arm punches just a little bit too early. So they can be frustrating, but they're a good challenge in a game which is otherwise pretty breezy. Yeah, um, I definitely like these uh, a lot. Um, I, at first I thought it was kind of weird that they would have like a completely different set of mechanics for the boss fights. Um, then I realized, oh, well, you can't really have a, uh, a large enemy that's on multiple, uh, multiple squares if you're doing this rotation thing, so... Um. I understand why they did it that way. Uh, I, yeah, I, I, sorry, I lost my train of thought. Um, there it goes. I, I, I liked it, I liked it uh, quite a bit. Um, I like the fact that each boss battle uh, has like its own theme, its own kind of, it, it's like a different puzzle each time. And yeah, there are different things you have to think about, and I've I've written on this in the blog before. I think boss battles should be treated like puzzles. Mm. Um, I think that's how uh, video games should approach them. It, if you approach them as it's just a big enemy, you are going to they're not going to feel special. It's it a boss is a set piece. So, did you appreciate that about Shadow of the Colossus? Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> problem with the. Shadow of the Colossus is I played the PlayStation 3 version, and apparently there's a glitch that makes it uh, a lot easier for the bosses to That's shake right. you loose. Yep, I uh, remember because that Because the, the physics calculations are being run at a different rate because of the speed <laughs> of the, the processor or something, or the frame rate. So, 
Okay, sorry for the dis- diversion. <laughs> I've got a question for you about Origami King. Mm-hmm. Why did the developers have the weapons break again? Because people loved it so much in Breath of the Wild that they put it in Animal Crossing, and people loved it so much there that they put it in this? I don't know. I don't know what Nintendo's um, fascination with breakable weapons uh, is. Um, All I can think of is that they wanted... So here, here's what here's what I'm here's my theory on that. You don't have flower points in this game. So what limits you from using uh, top tier equipment? Yeah, it breaks. Yep, yep. Um, I much rather have flower points uh, personally. I'm I'm not a huge fan of um, games that that have like the weapons break and stuff. Um, and even like in in games like Dungeons and Dragons, I don't really like the way they do spells there, because it's like, okay, you just get X number of spells a day, and it's like, I'd much rather have like the ability to suck down a, a mana potion or whatever. Just makes Mana potion, yeah, that's yeah. what it's called, for sure. <laughs> well, Dungeons and Dragons doesn't have mana potions. It's just oh. like, okay, if you, uh, if you use up all your spells, then you just gotta go take a nap. That's... <laughs> anyway... If you feel like I've been negative on this game overall, well, you're in luck because we did save the best for last. The presentation, I am super happy with how this game is presented, and uh, I I feel like they deserve nothing but praise on this. But Glenn is usually my devil's advocate, so let's see if we flip-flop at all in this segment. Let's start with the visuals. Of course, the most iconic thing about Paper Mario is that everything is in paper craft and... I think that they were especially creative with Origami King, with the origami, with the origami enemies and the uh, paper mache enemies too. What they call those paper macho? Yeah. So the big ones that you get to fight in the overworld that was super fun, very satisfying to see them explode into confetti, and I love I love the water. The water looks actually very realistic in yeah. some places oh, yeah and that's uh i guess that's another type of combat we've got to mention is that there's some combat mm-hmm. on like the uh, actual i don't know what to call it the exploration mode where you fight yeah. the paper macho enemies and i kind of appreciate that variety i'm, I'm a little surprised that the other paper mario games didn't try anything like that as a set piece i like that as well but you pretty much just have to hit them all from behind right uh no not necessarily once you remove the sticker you can hit them anywhere oh okay i gotcha well what do you think about the visuals um i like them my my only real issue and like i i think the okay let me start with the good so the paper craft aesthetic great um and i think that they really pushed it to its limits with uh, the origami and all of that uh the lighting in this game is really good like really good um, I'd say my only real issue is that everything has a, and it's, it's not nearly as bad in this game as it was in Color Splash, uh, you know, a game about colors, uh, but everything <laughs> looked a little faded. Um, I, I think they're trying to give it like a dusty appearance, not dusty as in, you know, like dusty colors, not dusty as in everything has a layer of dust on it, um, to maybe try to sell that paper aesthetic, um, but 
uh, you know, if you look at like Paper Mario on the 64, those colors are just um, screaming uh, bright and saturated, and I, I really like that aspect, but, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm a little iffy on the colors, but again, it's, they're not bad, it's just a little bit less than what I personally like, but then again, I kind of like blown out saturated colors, so. Well, I'm going to need you to tell me about the music, too, because as you know, I am deaf, but only to music. All right, well, um, I'd say this is arguably a contender for the best music in the series. Oh. It's hard to quantify because, like, the original Paper Mario, at the very least, was just so content being its own thing that it's kind of hard to compare that to the rest of the series, but... Um, yeah, so if there's anything that the, the new style Paper Mario games, uh, you know, Color Splash, Sticker Star, and now Origami King do really, really well, it's the music. I'd say they do the music even better than the visuals. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd say that the music is really good. Um, it, it's very eclectic, uh, though I, it kind of, for the most part, um, I was going to say it kind of sticks to jazz and funk like the previous two games, but I'm not even sure that I, I can say that. Like, you have some, like, really nice sort of orchestral, easy listening music things in, like, some of the early areas, and um, the battle themes are all uh, pretty good. So, yeah, the, the music in this game is great. Unfortunately, I don't have a ton of knowledge of, like, musical terminology to go into too much detail about it, but... Uh, seriously, if you get the chance, give the give the soundtrack a listen. I need to get my ears checked out so I can start hearing it, but I couldn't help but notice the handful of parts that are like musical numbers with lyrics on the screen and dancing characters and everything. That was always pretty funny. I'm not really a huge fan of that, to be honest. <laughs> like, I see that and it's like, okay, this is... Well, first of all, they aren't actually singing, so it's a little awkward because it, you're like having to... <laughs> You're, you're having to try to figure out how the lyrics are sung by reading them. Yeah. And it's one of those things where I look and it's like, you know, maybe if I were a little kid, this would be entertaining. But and I, I feel like it was just kind of put there for, for children. <laughs> but I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, I'm just, maybe I'm just dead inside. I don't know. Do you have your actual own opinions or do you just wait for what I say and then contradict it? I'm <laughs> no, just kidding. It's, it's so funny how opposite we are many times, though. Well, let's touch on the writing, because I'm confident that we can both agree on this being excellent. Mm -hmm. There's a good story, compelling characters for what the team seems to be limited with, and they, they can't make toads or bob that are very unique anymore. Uh, that seems to be a directive from the producers, but... It's, I Honestly, like... um, according to the interviews, I don't know if you've been keeping up with this, but it's really not clear where that mandate's coming from. Like, yeah. it mm -hmm. sounds like it's something, it's a limitation they're placing on themselves. Like, the first game, maybe they were told not to do any new characters, and then now they're like, okay, let's just keep it to a minimum without any direct oversight from Nintendo. But... Yeah. It's strange. And it's self-referential, too. Like... Olivia keeps wanting to name Babam. She's like Barry, Boomer, and he's like, nope, it's just Babam. So I like that they're at least acknowledging it. Yeah, and that is uh, kind of funny. I, I'll, I'll confess, um, I, I have perhaps 
a little too much of an affinity for the uh, the misnaming characters trope. Uh huh. Um, like, I would say half of the characters I play when I play tabletop RPGs have that as a quirk: is that they just can't remember anyone's name. <laughs> I could not believe my eyes when I saw the toad that was referencing Breath of the Wild. Oh that, yeah, that that was good. I think I have a screenshot of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that just blew me away. And then uh, the last one that stands out to me was when one of the bosses says you're you were better as a side scroller. Like I love it. They're breaking the fourth wall and uh, giving a lot of fan service to people that have followed Mario for a long time. Yeah, um, I, I'd say in a much larger scope, going to just generalizing, I really like the tone of this game. Like, I thought that my issue with um, the the plot of the Thousand Year Door and um, to much greater extent even um, the uh, Super Paper Mario's, I I thought the stories kind of took themselves a little too seriously. Like, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong, they definitely had had humor, but it it seemed like it was leaning more towards the dramatic and, in some cases, the epic. And I'm not really a huge fan of uh, epic scopes, to be honest. Uh, okay. Um, I much I I much prefer stories that have a more personal set of stakes than you know, because of course I don't want to see the world end. That's where all my stuff is. Yes. But <laughs> um, I really like the tone of this this story, where it's like. It, it has, like, some really good jokes. They're not afraid to, to be uh, hilarious, but they're also not afraid to be spooky in places. Like, they, they will genuinely have some creepy and unsettling uh, moments. What are you thinking of for that? Uh, for the creepy and unsettling moments? Uh, well, I think a great example is when you go to the desert level and you're in the, the tomb and you see the toads with their faces punched out by uh, the hole puncher. Yes. And so, because when you're introduced to it, you have, like, these zombie toads lying around. But then Olivia, like, peeks through it and is like, hey, I can see through it. And they have this whole <laughs> joke there, and she doesn't realize how horrifying that is until she goes around to the other side. And it's like, oh, wait, this guy's face is missing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, you know, that's a great con- that That's just a great example of the contrast because, you know, they're willing to be funny. But they're also willing to introduce some creepy stuff. Like, you know, Princess Toadstool, we all remember from the trailer that opening segment is... Um, pretty dark in places, and so they're yes. they're not afraid to have the story have stakes, which I think was maybe an issue in the previous games. It's it's not all jokes all the time, but it definitely um, it, it strikes a really nice balance, I guess. And I'm not really sure if I can describe it better than that. <laughs> no, that's great. And you did mention Olivia, which is a huge part of this game, constantly with you, and I like that there's a pretty good variety of characters. We're not really given unique partners or a set of partners that we can choose between in battles, but there are multiple ones that will accompany you on your journey for certain segments. And and some of them we'll, even do give you like abilities on the map screen, like the Professor mm-hmm. Toad with his shovel. And yeah, they don't really, you can't command them in battle. Sometimes they help in battle. Um, if you've ever played Final Fantasy three for the uh, DS, it's sort of like that, where you'd have an auxiliary character who just sort of shows up whenever they feel like it. Yeah. It, it's like the developers saying, yeah, yeah, you've been asking for these. Here you go, technically, but we're still making kind of a different game. Yeah, but um, I, I like the characters in this game. Uh, I will say I was really surprised with how much I liked Olivia. 
Um, Olivia is just such a charming character. Um, she's she's. I'll put it this way. At the Mario RPGs have a lot of characters that are like helper characters. Um, uh, so like the, give me a second. I think it started with um, Stuffwell and Mario and Luigi Partners in Time. Then you had Starlo and uh, Bowser's Inside Story. Uh, Kirsty, I think was her name, and um, Sticker Star. Uh, Starlo uh, again in um, Dream Team. And oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Uh, there was also a second one, uh, Dream Bert in Dream Team. Uh, then you had Huey from uh, Color Splash, and then um, Paper Mario uh, or Mario and Luigi Paper Jam had Starlo again, <laughs> and now we have Olivia. And I will say, usually I am at best indifferent towards these characters, and at worst, uh, they're Starlo. But <laughs> okay, let, let me walk it back a little. I don't hate Starlo in the for her first appearance. She has a reason to be there. They give no justification for her involvement in the story in any of the later uh, Mario and Luigi games. And Interesting. Yeah. It's just like, why are you here? No, hey, seriously, you're... why are you with us on vacation? <laughs> Your you're... memory is a little bit creepily good, being able to rattle off all of those, even ones that you're indifferent to. I'm impressed. But you are Olivia... Not, you're not Googling that. Olivia is is um, a lot of fun. She's she's got a lot of energy. She's got a lot of enthusiasm. She's got this sort of naivete. Like there was one point where I was asking myself, "What were you born yesterday?" And then, <laughs> uh, well, I don't want to spoil it, but uh, yeah, kinda. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really connect with her until that part where she was off crying, and I had to go cheer her up. Oh yeah, and that's another thing is they're they're you know she she gets sad. She actually feels like an actual character. You know she isn't just there to show up and go, huh? That was weird. Well, I'm glad that didn't kill you, Mario. And then get yep. you know jump back in your pocket and explain characters or enemies' weaknesses and stuff like that. She's a lot more than just an explain. Yeah, she's really terrible at explaining enemy weaknesses. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, actually. I guess she's okay at it. It's just every time I asked her for a hint, it's like, hey, I have no idea how to handle this formation. Do you, could you tell, maybe give me a, like just a starting point? And she's like, don't jump on the spike. I was like, right. Uh, Thank you for kidding. I, That's what the hint is for, is to tell me not to do the obviously stupid thing. <laughs> Any other side characters stand out to you? Uh, Bobby was great. I really liked mm -hmm. Bobby. Yeah. Um, he, he had a good character arc. Um, and then Captain Toad, Toad, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what his deal was, but, and I don't think we ever figure out what his deal was. But at, at the same time, you know, that's that's kind of the fun of it. It's just like, why are you so weird? Yeah. <laughs> it's a good cast overall. Yeah. Oh it yeah, well. and how can I forget Bowser Jr. and um, Kamek just mm -hmm. are brilliantly written in this game i i love how kamek like you can tell kamek is used to like being uh bowser jr's babysitter like you know they he actually talks to bowser jr kind of like how someone would talk to a kid so right <laughs> I, I i love that dynamic is this a good time to tell you that i'm about halfway through the game really yeah 
I gave you all that time to finish, and you, you didn't. <laughs> I, it, here's what happened. I got bored. It got formulaic. I was uh, hung up on some of the boss battles. So I'm enjoying it overall. It's just like maybe a seven for me, and it's hard to feel compelled to go sit back down and, and, and finish it off. So I would love some encouragement from you, things I can look forward to. But, um, okay, yeah, is, um, it, is it worth it? I would say so. Um, the, the story actually does take some interesting twists and turns. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, how, how far into it are you? Like, I, I want a baseline for what I can, can and can't mention. I'm... Oh, by the way, uh, spoiler warning, I guess. <laughs> um, Retroactively. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in the desert, and I beat the fire volume dude. Okay, the desert. Um, so I I'm think... about to go to the Tall Toad Towers. Tall Toad Towers, like the the ones that you have to light up on the inside. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, there's a very, and maybe this is just something I found interesting because I thought it was a very unconventional way to explain what the cause of all of this was. But mm. the next chapter, you know, chapter in quotes, because it doesn't actually break the game up into chapters like previous Paper Mario games. Um, the next chapter where you go on the high seas um, reveals a lot about the origins of the characters and um, why, uh, not really why they're doing what they're doing, but where they came from. I found it to be a very interesting, very unconventional um, approach because it, it was not at all what I was expecting. Okay, good. I like being surprised. Is the end game also interesting? I mean, uh, like the final chapter. The final boss. Let me put it this way: the final boss battle was one of the weirdest final bosses I've ever um, mm. played, just from a mechanical perspective. Yeah. Story-wise, um, the things wrap up interestingly. Uh, well, you haven't played. Uh, sticker star or color splash have you no okay if you've played those ones you basically know how this game ends because um what what happens to the characters is very similar at at the end of all of those but if you haven't then no i i think it has a nice uh, emotional ending and like i i said you know this this is the first time i've actually been like actually uh, invested in what happens to the side character, because okay. in past Super Mario games, like the the endings focus a lot on the side characters, but they never really get developed in the middle. So it's sort of like, well, okay, that that was a, a end for their character arc, I guess. But yeah. here, you know, Olivia actually does have kind of a character arc, and she has personal stakes in this because it's her bro- brother that's doing all all the villainous stuff. So yeah, it. it um, I, I'm not gonna say it's anything mind blowing or anything like that, but it it is uh, it is a rewarding ending if you stick th- with it. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I understand though if you want to take a break, it is a very long game. Like I was surprised at uh, how much time it takes to get from the uh, to to get through this game. There there is a lot of content. I would definitely play it more. It's just that I have a brother in law who likes to play Fortnite online with me. I've got Simeon yeah, who I likes to play. Yeah, I thought you plays. swore off Fortnite because I did, I did, but I only play it with my brother-in-law. 
Okay. So we're connecting over that. Uh, mm-hmm. Simeon, who wants to play Smash Bros. with me, and then Super Mario 3D All-Stars, which ca- came out and was a limited thing, so I had to buy it before it was sold out, and I couldn't just buy it without playing it. So there are other things that have come up, but I, I think I'll get back to it because overall I'm positive on it. I'm, I'm glad that it's almost returned to form. Here are my closing thoughts on a game that I've not yet rolled the credits on, and I think that I would sum it up as not just lipstick, but like a full good makeover on a pig. I, I feel like the development team in Japan had some strange ideas and directives like okay you have to have a new combat system you can't have rpg elements you have to have 900 somethings for people to find you have to have breakable weapons you have to basically make it like they made it and then it was sent over to north america to the treehouse who just kind of took it from there and made it really interesting with their localization and the story that they wove it all together with so that's my impression i don't know exactly how accurate that is but i know that the treehouse team did a bang up job yeah i would not be surprised if um a lot of the uh a lot of the most memorable moments were things that the treehouse decided to put in themselves Mm -hmm. um yeah, I think I think this is a definite step up from uh, the last two games. It feels like a halfway step between the sticker star style and the original style. Um, and honestly, what this game made me realize is I'd be okay if they didn't ever go back to the original style 100%. I just want to see it take the elements that worked from the original style. So I would like to see um, the return of some sort of experience point system and maybe flower points. But, you know, if they want to have like a weird battle system that's a a ring or whatever uh, in future games. okay, you know what? I'm open to that. Uh, I'm open to that. I think the overworld exploration is fine. And um, I think that the the amount of flexibility you know a lot of people are like oh all the characters are toads and stuff and i think this game showed that you can actually make that work uh, if you're willing to be a little bit more flexible than they were in sticker star because mm-hmm. um, these characters are engaging and they have lots of great uh dialogue yeah there's still a lot of things i miss from the previous games um I miss that the exploration doesn't really expand in sort of that metroidvania-esque way with the uh, with the various partner characters that you have to find and then you can go back and backtrack to previous areas. Um, it is very linear in that regard, but again, uh, in a weird way, I think that works in this game's favor because you feel like you're going on this journey and so you can move on, you know, once you're done with one area, you can just move on and go to the next one and you uh, it, it has a sense of momentum as a result yep. of that. Sometimes in a cool little vehicle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, driving around the boot that that was mm-hmm. that was fun. I, I kind of sadly couldn't take that boot with me everywhere. It, it was really <laughs> fun just plowing through uh, enemies and not having to fight them. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess I would say that as as a hint uh, or as just a suggestion. Um, the way I typically have played RPGs in the past is uh, as a psychopath who never runs from fights. It's like, no, if you cross me, I'm killing you. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so 
And, you know, that works in, like, the first two Paper Mario games. I think that's one of the reasons why I didn't have as much fun with the uh, Sticker Star and Color Splash. So my, my suggestion to you is it's okay to not get into fights if you don't feel like it in this game because you're not really missing a whole lot. Um, really just fight the enemies that it would be too inconvenient to your exploration. Okay. Um, that, that's, that's my suggestion is that don't, don't treat every fight as mandatory. Like, you know, in the, again, in the original games, I would basically, it's like, oh, there's an enemy. I'm going to try to get a first strike on them. In this game, there really is no point in doing that. Um, going out of your way to fight enemies. So, you know, if you don't have to, don't bother. And that, that will... Uh, that will expedite your experience and keep it more streamlined. That's good advice. Do you want to score it compared to my 7 out of 10 tentative score, or do you want to use your video rating scale, or would you like to abstain? Uh, I prefer using my video rating scale because um, I, I can do both if you really want me to. Because... Um, I, I don't really like the numerical scores because then I spend too much time thinking about the, the algebra of it. Like it's yeah. one of those things where I probably would have got given if I had to review them at the time of playing it, I probably would have given Super Mario Odyssey a higher score than Sonic Mania in terms of numerics because it it's more ambitious and accomplishes more. But right. Super Mario Odyssey would have been a liked it a lot and Sonic Mania would have been a love it. Huh. So it's one of those things where when you, you stop and think about it, it's like, huh, numerical, okay, apparently my numerical scores are measuring something different than my actual experience <laughs> at this point. And I don't know what it's measuring, and that's why I'm hesitant to use them. That's awesome. Um, well, in some to, cases, to review score, scores... liked it a lot. I, I, I'd probably mm-hmm. say I liked it a lot. Um, if you want a numerical score, uh, 7.8. Okay. Yeah, I think numerical scores do kind of take into effect into into account the developer's intention because yeah. you might give Tetris a 10 out of 10. I would, but it's got a pretty terrible story because it's non-existent and, you know, the graphics aren't really impressive and stuff like that, but it's like they did exactly what they set out to do and they did it perfectly. So, Therefore, it's a ten out of ten. It's kind of weird. It's different than your experience with it, which is with this game. You said you really liked it. Yeah, I did. Uh, if if yeah. I had to give it a score, I probably would give it a like it a lot. Um, like you it. know, understand that these since it's it's a very kind of soft rating system. Uh, it's, it's one of those things where I I would not say it's it's close to a love it rating. So I'd say like a lot, probably maybe lower end of that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, there's Paper Mario, the Origami King. Thank you so much for listening to our long discussion about this. I had a lot of fun. And what in the world was I about to say? I don't uh... know, but apparently it started with M. My money's <laughs> on meatballs. Mario is great. Uh, happy 35th anniversary, everybody, to Mario, that is. Glenn, I haven't known you quite that long, but we're probably I haven't known our... myself for that long. <laughs> thanks, Glenn. This is awesome. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. Thanks uh, thanks for hopping on and talking about a game that you uh, apparently only uh, halfway through. <laughs> yes. Oh, well, gosh, and there's so many things I forgot to mention that I think this game does well, too. So Should I... this... Hmm? Okay, this will be the little, like, acknowledgments at the end of the book go ahead 
Okay, so I forgot to mention uh, that I really, really like the fact that the um, the red streamer doesn't go to a volcano, the green streamer doesn't go to a forest, uh, the blue streamer doesn't go to the ocean. It's not the predictable biome kind of deal. Yeah, like there's just so much in this game. Like it feels very organic. Mm-hmm. So um, if if you're on the fence about this one, I I would I would highly um, I, I would I would recommend it if it looks at all interesting to you. I think it's uh, I, I I think it's a, a good game, and that um, hopefully if they keep moving in this direction, what what I see is that they're they they are listening to feedback and they're moving back in the more RPG direction. So I don't think we're ever going to get the original Paper Mario back, but I think we could get something that is. Um, close enough while still being its own thing and I think that that is um, that's exciting because I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in seeing what they do next because I think they're on the right track uh, on, uh, or you know I, I think the right track would actually be going back to the original formula but I'm at the, this game made me okay with the idea that um, maybe we don't go back to the original formula maybe, maybe we'll get something better I think it needs to be an option, and this would be unprecedented for Nintendo, but you start the game, and it says, do you want battles as RPGs or action? And you just pick, and they're both fully developed, viable options. That would be perfect. <laughs> but that's that's asking too much. Sorry, Nintendo, don't mind me. I remembered what I was going to say, and that is last episode when we posted the podcast, we had a lot of crew members coming out of the woodworks to say, hey, where have you been? Good to see you, and glad to see you still making stuff. So, yeah, we only put one of these out every once in a while, and we took a big break for between normal podcast episodes while we were doing the Zelda RPG episodes. That was fun. Uh, Glenn hosted a D&D style Zelda campaign that Simeon and I played with uh, Nathan Blake, who is very fun and good at rpgs yeah and he has a youtube channel um Mm -hmm. where he does let's plays and while he doesn't play a ton of nintendo stuff he's a huge nintendo fan but he just prefers to focus on lesser known games um his community is really great and if you haven't checked him out already i highly recommend you go out and do so because uh he, he makes great content yes so we were kind of taking a break but not as big of a break as you thought so if you're interested in listening to those we didn't post them on youtube because they're not for our general audience maybe because it's kind of a niche interest if you'd like to listen to those they're on our website at twobuttoncrew.com there's a bunch of episodes somewhere around 11 because we actually beat the campaign so enjoy that and uh, we will talk to you next time for the next normal two button crew podcast episode here on our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening. All right, see you next time. Bye.